What's up everyone? In this episode, we actually talk about building your buyer's persona and creating your perfect audience. So tune in right now. Hi, my name is Brandon and I spent the last 10 years of my life in the fitness industry in which I turned a hobby into a $100,000 a year career. But I got bored and I wanted a new challenge. The challenge, create a million dollar a year business. The only problem was I have no idea what I'm going to do. Follow me as I travel halfway across the country to start my business from zero. This podcast is to show you my struggles and successes and everything in between. Join me and follow along as I document my journey of starting over. Using only today's best networking techniques, growth hacks, and sales funnels to grow my million dollar a year business. My name is Brandon Duff and let's change lives together. This is The Money Friends. What's going on, everyone? I have Mark Brown in the house with Design Hackers Guild, and I'm super excited to talk to him. A big fan for the longest time. But for those that, oh, wow, of those of people that don't know you, uh, can you go ahead and kind of give us a little bit of background of who you are, how you design hack, and kind of your story? Absolutely. So my name is Mark Brown. I am based in the uh, area of West Cork in Ireland, right on the Atlantic coast. Uh, I'm not originally from Cork, though. Uh, my wife is, and uh, that's why I'm here. Um, but I'm originally from Dublin in the inner city of Dublin. Um, so just to give a background about myself, I am a corporate hack. I have been, I've got about 20 years of experience working in the blue chip IT sector, which involved customer service, customer support, then technical writing, then I got into marketing, then I get into sales and so forth and so on. And uh, eventually I got myself a master's, which is sitting on my uh, the back of my uh, head there and um, it is a master's in design research and the reason I did that was I got stuck in a project where I was trying to ascertain what was the value of it uh, and it led me to uh, learn techniques along with project management that allowed me to create uh, an irresistible offer to a bunch of influencer marketers um, that led to a 480,000 or sorry not 480,000 but a 480% out of 100% uh, ROI in uh, return on, on, on investment. So that's kind of uh, my basic character. What I do now is because I'm a history buff and I'm kind of looking at the effects of what's happening in our present day, I run a, what's known as the Design Hackers Guild, which is bringing entrepreneurs together to build irresistible offers, offers based on the techniques that I learned in the corporate IT sector to craft those offers. That's amazing. That makes I mean, sense. You no, know, definitely. It's, I mean, it's so important to have a great offer, have a offer that is irresistible and mm -hmm. one that uh, kind of matches your audience because if you present yeah. something to uh, someone who, you know, might not want it or need it, then it's not going to go anywhere. So it's it's important to have an irresistible offer. So can you kind of describe what is like an irresistible offer in a sense? Like, I know I kind of briefly described it there, but you being the the guru on this, uh, I would I would definitely. <laughs> oh, don't love bring up gur gurus, or, or, or I'll be attacked by you know Coffeezilla for <laughs> talking up uh, trash. But no, in 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 all seriousness, the the whole idea of an irresistible offer offer is it doesn't exist but the fact that it doesn't exist means that you have the ability to create it and right, what that. you're talking what you're talking about when you're creating an irresistible offer is at first who is this offer for 
why are you building this offer where is it coming from who is it going to serve and the whole aspect of creating an irresistible offer is actually to make that offer irresistible and to, to draw in the fans i learned the hard way that you have to take your desires completely out of the equation and go to your audience and your customer base gather data and questions and conversations and looking at what they do and come back and build what we call personas in the design research uh, area and out of those personas you then inhabit those personas and create the irresistible offer and what that that means is is you're taking all of your biases as the the creator all of your biases as the business owner all of that uh, oh i've got to make money i've got to you know i've got to do this that and the other it's all about it, it turns into all about the persona and as counterintuitive as that might seem because it's your business you know you should have an input the more and uh, that you focus on your persona or that, that that represents and i'll go into personas in a second that persona that represents your your audience the bigger impact you will have the quicker you will move through those phases of initial buyers and then your extended buyers and then your buyers that follow follow the crowd of buyers it moves very very fast and i've seen this for myself i wasn't kidding about the 480 percent in the first year of uh what was the the program and i can't mention it because it's a an nda okay. from the point right. of view i don't want to get any companies in trouble but you can look it up if you, if you look my profile up um the in the first year off a 56k budget we hit 24 million in our second wow. year in our second year we were on target for 250 million but we were taken over <laughs> And, so, and that's, I mean, that's important to have yeah. an extra strategy. Uh, we, I was yeah. talking with Cody uh, Laughlin a few months ago, maybe a month ago or so, and he talks mm -hmm. about exit strategies. So you definitely want to check out the episode if yeah. you guys uh, love exit strategies and you want to grow a business or flip it or whatever that is. So uh, to go back to where you were saying about gathering data, yeah, what is your thoughts on uh, pre-selling? Because I find when I was doing all my research for uh, my different pieces of software, we we actually did a lot of pre-selling because it allowed us to have our customers kind of tell us and vote with their money based on what the actual software did and what they wanted out of it. So what are your thoughts on pre-selling? And then we'll get into personas. Yeah, well, pre-selling is makes absolutely perfect sense. And it is done in the IT corporate world in terms of uh, revenue doesn't necessarily require you to put down revenue in order to get something out of it it can be something where you're invited or if you're smart about it and you're in the a, a corporate corporate people are they tend to invite exclusive audiences into pre-shows and um uh, betas and so forth right. and so on it's so in in, in terms of that pre-selling is an absolute requirement in in, in certain senses to to get that user feedback because as much as you do your research on 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 an audience it's the practical implications of them actually using it and encouraging them to use it and in, in what corporate it uh, groups do is they do invite um beta testers and first in is best dressed in terms of getting their hands on it they get to blog about it they get to so the value they get out of it is they get their their hands on it first 
and uh, from that you get the feedback of how good or awful it is and they give you direct feedback as to how to make this even better and in, in a certain sense pre-selling allows your all your users to do that development work that costs you millions of dollars to do and uh, and you still wouldn't get it right Right. Um, it's, it's, it, the, the, the value of pre-selling and the value of pre, you know, uh, betas is just phenomenal. Yeah. I, I find it, uh, I mean, we have such amazing, uh, team of kind of what you talk about of having like a guild and a tribe. We have mm -hmm. an amazing a gr group of money friends who have been literally been able to tell us exactly what they want and kind of mold what we've developed. And I think it's, it's super important to have that because that's valuable information because they're going to give you honest feedback um, because they care about the product as much as you do. Yeah. And obviously they, you know, they, some of them have uh, investment interest in it. So they're voting with their money too. So that kind of uh, allows for one thing, but it also allows for, just like you said, to kind of lower your budget because yep. you're, you're not having to, to hire a QA team. You're not having to uh, hire a, a, a mass amount of developers. And not only that, but, you know, you are getting an outside perspective because you're having people test it who's never actually tested the water versus internally you have those people that uh, kind of know what everything does and kind of know how to guide themselves through the software versus someone who's just is la launched in there brand new and then they can kind of see where, where it's going and where it doesn't by just breaking it in a sense and uh, yeah i'll add to that that what also if someone feels that's quick and dirty in terms of getting the audience to do the heavy lifting if you get your users and your audience and your clients to do the heavy lifting for you in that you can then have a very clearer picture of uh if you're going to go to a design agency or if you're going to go to a qa group with very clear instructions for them that they enjoy themselves because they can get that project out the door cleared up and they know exactly who they're uh, focusing on so that works for them as well uh and that that's actually something that a lot of businesses thrive on and then they delight in working with you so even even in a partnership bless you in a partnership uh, ship sense they um they get value out of what you're doing when you're focused on your audience yeah i think it's so important and not only that but the the de uh, not the development team but the people that are kind of beta testing it uh mm kind of are happy for you in a sense because they're like yes. I get to help this person do this and I, I was part of the team in a sense and I think it's almost a uh, kind of a bonding experience which I really love absolutely bad community building yeah so tell me a little bit more about how you find your your persona your perfect audience your tribe however you want to call it how do you actually find that well, first of all, um, it is given the assumption that if you're going into business uh, and you have a business idea, you will have done your own due diligence in terms of you have a passion for it, you have a belief in it, and you have uh, either tested it for yourself from, from your own perspective, and you know what you're doing. So that's whatever field you, you move into, and that's assumed. Now, an, an awful lot of this, this is the thing, and the reason I'm, I'm, I'm talking about this is that when you're doing academic design training and design thinking, design research, they talk about building the business model, and they talk about it uh, different aspects of the business model, SWOT analysis. And then in the middle of it all, they throw in the persona. Whereas I'm someone who says, if you've got an idea, a fair idea of what you want to do before you even build your business model, 
you need to go to a group of people that you know in business. I, if I had a business idea, I'd approach someone like you, who I know I'm connected to. You're a bit, you're business minded. You go to business minded people. You go to people you know who do these things. Uh, if you've built up a network and rapport, or you can build up a network and rapport, you don't have to rush into it. Um, and start talking about your idea, what you then do is you draw that audience in. That's the initial audience, what I call the founders. Yep. And from that, you start crafting um, out what is the ideal from that. And then you start looking for people who match people, say, like yourself, people like myself, who have that um, that, that, that aspect that you're looking for. And that's how you start identifying your, starting building out your persona. And it, it can take some time, but it's well worth it um, through, and we've got so, as you said yesterday, or I think it was on, maybe it was on a different podcast. There's no reason, uh, especially today with modern technology, you can get on Zooms with a lot of people. You've been on, pro every one of us has probably been on Zooms ad infinitum. Um, and we can have those conversations and, and build those data. And if you've got chats and you record the chats, you're starting to pick up data around that. And if you are an established business and you have a CRM, you'll be able to pull out additional data um, for uh, around your clients and start crafting the personas of the current buyers you have and then looking uh, for additional people. And as you start to learn more about what those people go through and the different pain points, you'll start building that that uh, perfect persona. Yeah, I love that. And it, and as time goes on, and I don't know about you, but for me, I see patterns all the time. So <laughs> when I am looking for people and I notice that it's this type of person who is interested in my software um, or my uh, development team in creating a software, then they will actually, uh, I can just see, see it like green light, red light, green light, red light in a sense, because it, it really shows that all these people are attracted to you. And now you just look for those types of people because yes. you, you have so many kind of data points that are just in a sense of just in your subconscious that yep. now it's, it's a very easy to craft that. So would you recommend you, kind of build out i know some companies actually name their persona um yep. in a sense like a sally or a, a mark so mm -hmm. would you actually name that persona and kind of build it based on that type of person that you would see that person as yes absolutely that's how you craft persona personas and i'll just give you an example of um i, I did a video on this it's just a, a brought some props so when we think of avatars, this is what I think of, right? It's a teddy bear, <laughs> yeah. right? Now, if you think of a teddy bear, it's okay, it's, it looks fairly individual, and I love this teddy bear. I call it Data Bear Sam, and I've used it as a prop in, in different videos. But let's compare that to, say, a driver's license. Okay, if you think of a driver's license, it's kind of boring, but it's got reams of data. It's got uh, date of birth, it's got an image of me, it's got the whole lot. This actually is a persona in terms of in real life. I can go, I can hire a car, I can go into a liquor store and buy alcohol. Uh, I can go to a bank and, and get credit I don't deserve. Um, <laughs> but You deserve all the credit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it, in terms of, of, of that, if you think of your persona as a driver's license, so what you've got to do is when the rubber hits the road, um, a driver's license, you can see that working in the business and everybody works off that driver's license as an identification. So although that is, uh, this is a persona, it's not me, but it represents me. So that's why you 
I'd say you create that asset of a persona because it's our, almost like a customer's driver, driver's license. And we know if we, if we are sharing that amongst our organization, we can then base our offer on every, off every interaction that your customer has in terms of your site, your offer, how they buy, et cetera. It must please them. And then it becomes so ingrained that you must, a lot of businesses I've seen, on, and this is, it's unique. It's only in a few businesses, but in a lot of businesses who use personas, they start to think of them as real people. And then they refer to them with, well, what would Bob think about this? You know, Bob, that's not right. going to help Bob at all. Right. Um, and it becomes that that kind of thing, and which is great because you're in the zone. You're absolutely in the zone of serving your customer. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's funny because they, they call like Bob or whatever, but you then mm -hmm. assign them an age range that they're between the ages of like 35. Like for me, when I was a personal trainer, I knew that my perfect audience was typically between 32 and 55. I know that's a, a large age range, but I knew I wasn't going to be training people that were 18 to 28 because one, they typically they're not into their career where they could actually afford me. Yeah. They uh, typically are, they don't have any kind of health issues most of the time because they just aren't at that age. They don't really have movement patterns. They've, um, they haven't had years of, uh, kind of wear and tear on their body. They, they um, typically don't really care so much because they can eat whatever they want and still be semi-healthy in a sense. Mm -hmm. So I knew that those uh, that age group wasn't kind of for me. Um, I also didn't train women, so I cut that out of the equation, so I only trained men. Um, and typically, uh, we, we trained, or when I was training, uh, we only had a... Uh, typically CEOs, business professionals, uh, people that could afford to actually train with me because someone who's maybe working as a, I don't know, a uh, working at a 15 hour uh, 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 minimum wage job isn't going to be able to focus on their health because it's going to take them like six hours to actually afford one hour of training with me. So the numbers just didn't make sense for them. So, um, you know, when that comes that when that is kind of a important factor, uh, then obviously they're not going to waste what 18 hours a month, which is most of their paycheck to go train with me once a week or the math was wrong. That was only uh, three times uh, a month, but it all adds up. So um, what would you say about pricing people out? I mean, is that something that you do in your business? Is that something you recommend? Do you not recommend? Do you feel you can help everyone in the world? Or do you feel like you should just focus on people that you could uh, help in your persona? Well, first of all, the uh, you cannot help everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. You cannot, you cannot serve properly everybody. If you try to please everybody, you'll please nobody. Right. And that like corporations don't do that they have right. a very specific thing they look for uh, an income demographic and even in, in their sales organization you look you target organizations that are within a revenue stream before you even talk to them um you you have to you have to be very specific and that, that's what personas and building personas actually makes you do it makes you be very specific so when you start off with five or six you actually mesh them down to two and that's tough, but what that makes you do is to focus on very specific areas. And that means you start pricing out in terms of what you're going to provide for uh, the users in that. And you'll, you'll it, it forces you to target people with certain, uh, in certain demographic, certain uh, 
uh, wage radius or, or revenue stream um, and you know in terms of, of errors and preferences and if you can get down to the fact that they have kids they have or they're divorced or whatever you can get very specific around that and you can focus on those particular areas airlines um, and travel agencies are had actually started to do that on the internet they figure out you were a single mom with three kids and then they throw up specific offers for you um, because they've done the, the, the due diligence on that uh, you do have to price out people you if you want to serve people properly you do have to price out and you as you move through and become more of an expert you are going to be more expensive in terms of what your specialty can do so you have to increase your price and then and start narrowing who who you serve it's a it's a matter of course it is the right thing to do it is the logical thing to do you're not doing a disservice to anyone else um because you're in you're in a specific for, for want of a better word, I don't like it, but niche, where you're in a specific stream of, of what you can do. Now, if you're smart about it, like you are, Brandon, huh. you, you can create um, uh, courses off the back end that, that spill out, and a lot of uh, people do that. You can create courses that might suit people in a different area that are starting out in business that can give them the tips and tricks to move up in that scale and move up to you but as you if you've done before I, I saw you did the, the the ladder where it goes that way like you've got a got your high ticket that's where you need to be focused it, it, giving your best best and brightest offer that you can and then from that as you're do, doing learnings you're improving that you can pull off things that are are useful for people starting out and you you don't you definitely don't forget where you come from uh i, I certainly don't i certainly want to, to to help people who are starting out to, to come up because i need new clients um and that's the way i i would focus it but pricing out people is definitely I, you're required to do it as, as far as I'm concerned. If that sounds harsh, it's harsh, but it, that's the truth. No, I totally 100% agree. And if you're just starting out, like you were saying, and how you kind of talked about the, dis, uh, the descending uh, value ladder in a sense, mm -hmm. uh, if you're just starting out, you're not running ads, you don't know your perfect persona, you should be charging a much higher price point for what you actually do um, because you only need a few. Um, people to kind of hit those target goals. And then yeah. obviously you take that and you reinvest it into the company. You start uh, building out your kind of lower ladder in a sense. Uh, yeah. And then you start hiring a team. They start off tasking things. And the thing, uh, and then obviously you start ascending people when you start scaling. And that's yeah. what's so important about doing those first part of it is when you're doing the research uh, and learning your, your persona, when you bring it back up the value ladder, you have that data in a sense to run ads. I mean, if you look at uh, Google's campaigns, you look at Facebook campaigns, it's all centered around that demographic that how many, are they married? Do they have kids? Uh, what area do they live in? Are they in the, the richest uh, zip codes or in the, the bottom 50%? Uh, there's so many different things and even in, um, in uh, Google and stuff, you can actually narrow it down to kind of what device, and, and uh, Facebook does this too, but you can uh, do it on buyer habits. You can do it on interests. There's so many different things you can target people on. And it's having this data that's so important if you're looking to really scale your business. So uh, I think that's super important. So what uh, when you have your actual persona, you mm -hmm. have your irresistible offer, what's next? 
Well, in terms of, of that, it, it, it's stress testing it. So one of, one of the things I do to bootstrap people in, into the personas is I force them to create their personas, get it down to two, and then start thinking like them in terms of a SWOT analysis. So you turn around and you look at your current organization, what's its strengths, weaknesses, and opportunities and threats in terms of your buyer which is really means you start role-playing your buyer, you start inviting in your buyer to, to look at things. And then when you've hit ideation, you'll start, that's where the, the, the irresistible offer starts to uh, create. Now, when you roll it out, that doesn't mean it's perfect because what will happen is, is that uh, as you introduce the project, you know, every wave in the sea is not the same or, or unique things kind of change things may change uh in terms of the persona's requirements look, look at what we're going through right now in the pandemic um but what you do is is you you if you are actively listening for the 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 persona that you've created you'll start to pick up those nuances and if you add it back to it um you'll you'll very very quickly adapt and change so when you're rolling out your offers um a lot of the the road um the, the road bumps that you hit particularly the one that says that 85 percent of all new products fail you avoid it you end up um taking a bypass and heading for the the, the road that leads to roi and that ever increasing ladder of profit that, and uh so to get back to your original question what do you do when you've got the the, the persona and the the irresistible offer is you can you you do your business you don't sit back you keep researching you keep picking up and as you say watch for those patterns but because say for someone like you where it's natural it's an innate ability for you you may not be able to do that yourself so that's why you create the assets of a persona and you must think of these things uh, that you do out of the design when you create the persona it's literally an asset like your driver's license that's an asset to me it, it allows me to do business you consider your persona the same way and you continually update it like you you keep renewing your driver's license and you might get other qualifications for it it's the same you know it's kind of the same thing you keep your ear to the ground and as you said as well you have an exit strategy because your product or service will have a life cycle there will be a a a, a peak um to where you you it reaches a, a point maybe everybody's starting to create offers perfectly around the world <laughs> and <laughs> then you need to back that off and then you you from that you need to make another pivot to another product and start building personas perhaps separate if you're starting a new venture or bringing that that cohort into a new area which turns them into new personas yeah, I love that. And we'll actually go over how to build a persona step by step. We'll have the visual in the money memos or the VIP section. So if you guys definitely want to get that, that will be in the show notes. But let's talk about how you transition. You talk about pivoting. I mean, is is it only one persona or can you start building, like you were saying, building multiple personas that all feed into that product? I mean, mm -hmm. does every product have a, a life cycle? Um, I mean, I know that like Amway has been around for forever and <laughs> true true i mean there there are stalwarts but in terms of um the majority of products or services that are out there um you could say coca-cola has never changed but right. the bottle has changed right immensely and every time they've introduced new products themselves so we there's there's only a few products that are around forever and that's to do with the fact that the personas never change in terms of that need but in terms of 
most products and services, they tend to have a life cycle, especially in corporations with software. And um, we've, uh, you, you're probably bringing up an, a, another debate that could we could have over an hour or yeah. two in terms of what, uh, where are we going in terms of globalization and iterations. But in terms of what we deliver as a service, you will get to a point where um, your product or service will be picked up. And now it, you might uh, see a trough, and sense, it yeah. needs to be it needs to come back again. But it it will the demand for it will wane off, and that's where you have to react and say, okay, is the product actually reached the end of its life? Does it need to be reiterated, or do I need to do something completely different to serve the audience that we've carried, and maybe keep a maintenance product back for other people who are coming behind? Yeah, I I think that is uh, another great topic. Actually, I would love to. Yeah. Uh, talk about how company like say for instance like Facebook they mm -hmm. buy like when they bought Instagram for like a couple billion I believe it was um, people thought they were crazy but they could have developed Instagram really easily but it wasn't the product that they were interested in it was the actual list that they yes. had so I mean if you're not building a list you don't have recurring income that's the thing that people want. Uh, the, uh, products and services can be replicated pretty easily, especially now that we live in an online world. We can just follow people's ads, see what they're doing. We can follow their design. We can subscribe to whatever they're doing and reverse engineering. But to have that list is what's so important. So, and I, I think that's where you're going with that is where you're talking yeah. about the design, the life cycle of a, a product yeah. is if you're able to be bought out for, uh, a great deal of money, it's because most of the time, it's not the product itself, it's the the following behind it and the branding behind it. And I think that's <clears throat> amazing. And uh, I mean, we one of our softwares that we had, we uh, someone really wanted it and we decided to sell it off. And uh, mm -hmm. we developed a, another piece of software based on the feedback that we got and based on uh, what the needs were. And we yep. created something even better and we're growing exponentially and it's been amazing so far, but uh, I think that is amazing. So where can more people find out about being a design hacker? How can they join the design hacker guild? What is that? Okay. Tell me a little bit more about all that. Okay. Well, the design hackers guild uh, basically is targeting. Originally I was targeting small business owners, but I'm, I'm targeting business owners in general who want to really scale their business in the online space, but not having to go it alone. And in terms of that, what, why I focused on the guild back in medieval times, um, at the end of the Black Death, yeah. uh, guilds actually came to prominence because so many people died that people were left behind as single uh, people where the rest of their family had been wiped out. And it brought in that sort of confraternity family thing. But within the guilds, it focused on skills and it also focused on price control, uh, proper business rules. And uh, this, this Design Hackers Guild is a commercial guild in terms of it's an on, bringing entrepreneurs together that do business around the world and, and across far distant places. But the whole idea behind it is to bring together a standardization of um, proper business practices and proper offer creation. I love it. So that's that's the, the the terms behind it. I I, I want to get be very clear about this. I don't care if if someone else gets in, in inspired by this and creates their own guild in their own area. 
I consider that a success. Yeah. I think what we need in 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 terms of what we're learning about the the weaknesses we've encountered because of this pandemic, I think a lot of localization needs to start to come back in in into our globalized world and guilds were the best method of doing that now while i'm not localized i'm kind of localized around the world i'm trying to sponsor that idea of localization um and building craft guilds so you, you don't have to be a candle maker or a bread maker <laughs> you if you're a business and there are other guilds like that don't get me wrong i'm not, I'm not the only guild uh, master in in the world there are other guilds out there there's a writers guild and so forth but um there's a, in back in the 2010s guilds got decimated because uh they said oh no no it's it, it, it was very controlled and price controlled but what we've discovered is is that even in globalization we see price controls and we can see a lack of things or that we don't we can't even make in our own country and we have to take from the uh, from other countries that were right. you know and uh, so it gives us the ability to have that what i call innovation orchestration so if you've got these guilds, they can actually get together and using their skills and cross collaboration, they could come up with something that would solve something else. So it, it has an extra power beyond creating mine of creating the irresistible offer. I'm looking towards the day where we can actually have guilds that do what is called innovation orchestration, where we bring something in that's uh, never been seen before or capable of doing, but it's done in, in a locality and then we can actually spread it globally across other communities. That's the idea. I love it. that. That is so amazing because it really, it allows an outside, you don't have that uh, kind of internal, not cult, but uh, you have a kind of an outside perspective from different companies that are smaller companies that don't have the, the power to bring something that is uh, able to take on by a global market. But if you have like all your powers combined in a sense, you're able to really use um, and leverage other companies. And I think that's amazing. So yeah. where can people learn more about the Design Hacker Guild? How can they join? Uh, do you have a website? Do you, uh, is yeah. it better to contact you on Facebook? What's the best route for that? You can reach out to me on Facebook and you can also look for the Design Hackers Guild on Facebook and apply to join. You can also go to the designhackersguild.io and I can put a link out to you that has the Guild Manifesto, which if you go through, will lead you to a sign up and free training about personas itself. So wow. that's a free offer for myself. There's no uh, other upsell around it just to get your email address. Uh, and it takes you through some very uh, specific persona training that, that, that you can actually take and, and start doing yourself. I love that. And we will definitely include that in the show notes. So definitely check that out. We will also have extra training uh, in the money memos so that you guys can, uh, for those that are part of the money memos, can definitely get a hands-on approach of having Mark walk you through how he creates a persona. And uh, thank you so much, Mark. It's been a Absolutely. pleasure. I'm a big fan. I, I, I love talking to you all the time. So uh, appreciate the invite, by the way. And I am honored to actually be on this podcast. I'm, I'm loving the way it's growing and it's great to be part of it. Uh, Thanks so much, Mark. I appreciate you. And we'll talk very soon. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. If you love this episode, go ahead and rate and subscribe to it. I really appreciate the feedback. And if you don't, go ahead and unsubscribe. I'm just kidding. Don't unsubscribe. Go ahead and send me an email and tell me how I can improve. Thanks so much. Have a good one, guys. Peace.